Today's episode of the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. The relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh items in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and L.A. And they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals, clinics fighting on the front lines, while keeping local restaurants and businesses well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate. Please, we're trying to raise 250000 and if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. It's the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark, joined today by draft superstar Danny Kelly and queen of the draft, Mallory Rubin. How are you doing, guys? Doing excellent. Just delighted to be here with you both, gotta say. <laughs> so we learned a lot about football this weekend. We learned a lot about the interior of Cliff Kingsbury's home. We learned about <laughs> Adam Gase's uh, child's ability to do a, um, a Rubik's Cube uh, quite quickly, actually. And, and that was that was phenomenal to see. Uh, and we learned what the NFL is going to look like in 2020, um, even though if there might not be crowds and everything might be different, but we know who's on, who's going to be on what team and we're going to break it down. So we have a bunch of superlatives today, things like best draft, worst draft, biggest reach, all that stuff, weirdest pick, I guess you could call it. And we're just going to go through it. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to we are going to grade the draft that we just saw, which I think can we agree on this was one of the most fun drafts of our lifetime. Yeah. I was going to actually ask you guys that. Did you feel that it was a like a very bizarre and strange thing, or did it kind of just feel like a good normal draft? Like other than the fact that everything was on Zoom, it felt like pretty regular. There wasn't anything too too crazy. I mean, I think that those things are not necessarily mutually exclusive. There was obviously something surreal about the experience, I think, especially in round one on Thursday night, where there was this <laughs> very disorienting aspect of what we were watching unfold in real yeah. time. But the normalization pace was quite rapid. You got yeah. acclimated really quickly. And then I think the overwhelming sensation for most sports fans and most NFL obsessives was gratitude that we got yeah. to gather together and soak up and celebrate sports because obviously Football. that's been an incredibly rare thing lately. And I, I think that so much of the talk heading into the draft about potential hacks and tech hiccups and all of that stuff. Would teams not know how to assess players? Would the the, the mocks that we had been putting out and digesting for weeks and months on end end up being totally out of sync with reality? That stuff ended up not happening, which I think probably feeds into that sense of maybe surprising normalcy that you're describing, Danny. Yeah. But I don't think we should lose sight of the fact that... <laughs> This draft like involved Roger Goodell changing into a new outfit every 15 <laughs> picks and ingesting what appeared to be 4,000 M&Ms. Yeah. yeah Incredible stuff. Sure. We learned a lot about Roger Goodell this weekend, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I would I agree with you. There was a, yeah. There, yeah, we're going to get to that <laughs> later in, in, in one of our superlative categories. I think that uh, generally, there was a shock at the beginning, which was like, why is Matt Patricia with this child? And then like on the third day, it was like, well, of course, oh, he's going to do the high five with this child. Like we all got used to it very, very quickly. And there were a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of children. I will say Brian Curtis and I talked talk about this last night. He tweeted it. This idea that this is going to somehow change how the NFL operates. Like, 
Bob Quinn last night said this has given him new perspective on work life balance. He's going to try to achieve it. I don't. I don't necessarily buy that. That's yeah, all I'm saying. Either. I don't. This <laughs> no is, way. <laughs> we have a hundred years of evidence that work life balance will not be achieved in football, and I'm not sure that this draft is going to be uh, stemming the tide. All right, let's get to the, the categories. Danny, we'll start with you. Best draft. I got to go with the Cowboys. I think that what they did and the way that sort of the draft fell to them, you know. Mm-hmm. everybody goes into the draft with sort of a plan and it's kind of like the Mike Tyson thing. Like everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Things happened for a lot of teams where I think the draft just didn't fall to them and they had to panic and make weird picks. Opposite happened for the Cowboys in my mind. They, mm-hmm. they were just sitting there with, I think guys that they likely had ranked very, very highly on their board, guys that were ranked very highly on my board. Um, they got way higher than I think, or way lower in the draft than expected. CD lamb, Fell to them at number 17, I think. Obviously, not a huge need for them, but just a coup because he's one of the best players in this draft bar none. He was the number six player on my board. I love that guy. So getting him at number 17 was awesome. Um, Just going down the list, my 33rd ranked player, they got at 51 in cornerback Trevon Diggs. My 49th player, they got at 82. Neville Gallimore, who is on the all-name team, and he's just explosive, exciting, interior pass rusher type guy. And then my 75th ranked player, they got 179. Um, I believe he fell mostly because of a lack of, I guess, um, elite athleticism. But I think he's just a skilled pass rusher. And that, to me, is going to be a steal for them down the road. So, I mean, just I love their draft. I think, you know, what they did. Oh, Tyler Baidez, and I'm not sure I'm saying his name right, but um, the center from Wisconsin, coming into the 2019 season, there was talk of him potentially being a first-round pick. Um, he kind of fell off, but he's just sort of, you know, a solid center prospect for them. Obviously, that's going to be important for them, too. So, like, just looking at their draft, I think they hit a lot of their needs, um, and they got awesome value at, like, almost all of their picks. So, I, I just think they hit a home run. Yeah, and this is, again, we, we talk so much about the NFL and how complicated it is and, and how complicated this draft was going to be, and Jerry Jones made these picks from a boat. <laughs> he did. So remember yeah. that next Super time yacht. someone someone tells you how complicated this whole league is. Remember that Jerry Jones won the draft, according to Danny Kelly, from, <laughs> from a boat. boat. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm totally in agreement with you. The way that this draft fell to them worked out really well. The Cowboys have a history of not overthinking it. And and I think that that helps them, especially in, in a draft like this. I think that they've already, they already had a lot of roster talent coming into this. I think that the Dak Prescott contract situation has the real possibility this year um, to be a huge drama and a huge calamity. And I think that there's a lot of outstanding questions about that. But leaving aside that, I think that the Cowboys have a real chance to compete in the NFC this year. And I oh, think yeah. that they oh, yeah. have... Again, I've talked about this a couple of times. I wish that there was the capability, maybe a time machine to go back and, and not give Zeke Elliott that contract. But if, yeah. if Byron Jones had stayed there, maybe they're able to keep with some of their... their I, I think Byron Jones was an important piece. Um, and I have questions about their defensive backfield at this point. But overall, when I look at that 53-man roster, I think this is a team that, sh- that should probably win 11 or 12 games this year. They quietly added Gerald McCoy... Um, Dontari yep. Poe in the interior yep. of their defensive line. I mean, they made some savvy sort of under-the-radar type free agent moves, moves too. So overall, yeah, I, I, I look at this team as is pretty complete. I think Dak Prescott's absolutely going to ball out this year. And I it's, totally It's going to be fun. Yeah. And and Mike McCarthy being not Jason Garrett is extremely huge. <laughs> that is that, that is a huge wild card, though, I will say. It's something I, we didn't mention yet. Um, 
head coaching change can make a difference, and especially oh, could where- oh really? Not having Jason Garrett. <laughs> Could make a difference. Yeah, I suppose you could look at it as a positive for sure. Um, but it's also potentially a negative because, you know, especially in a year like this where they don't have a regular preseason or a regular training camp or any of that, mm-hmm. that could that could be an effect. But um, overall, the talent level, yeah. And they have, yeah, I think that's the biggest outstanding thing is how does Mike McCarthy establish his quote-unquote culture via Zoom? And I think right. that there's a lot of <laughs> right. outstanding right. questions with that. Uh, Mallory, where do you put the Cowboys right now after this draft in, in the NFC pecking order? I thought the draft was tremendous. I agree with everything you guys said. I, I absolutely cannot believe that CeeDee Lamb fell to them at 17. Yeah. Days later, it still yeah. feels like a collective fever dream that we all agreed to engage in together. And we talk about this all the time, Kev. You emphasize this consistently. The teams that win don't overthink it. Smart teams yeah. make smart decisions. And it doesn't always have to be about position of need sometimes it's about Mm -hmm. value and the talent that you can't pass up and sometimes it can be about both of those things at once and i think that's a great segue into my pick for yeah (laughs) i almost picked this team but i was gonna let you have it yeah i kind of wish that one of you had picked it so that i didn't have to do the shameless (laughs) homer thing we're not not gonna let you off the hook like that we're not gonna let you off the hook i'll get the ravens talk out of the way up top and then i'll move on to other things i promise The Ravens had a hell of a draft. They really did. Mm -hmm. I love almost every part of the draft, you know, entered with nine picks, exited with 10 pretty strong selections. And given the overall strength of the roster, I I talked about this before the draft. I would have been in favor of packaging some of that draft capital Mm -hmm. to try to move up to get an elite receiver because you're probably not going to have nine or in actuality now 10 rookie draft picks, not to mention the the undrafted free agents that they sign. All of those players are not going to make the team and end up having an impact. Package right. some of that capital, get a SAR. That didn't happen. And so what did happen, I thought was really smart and savvy. Aside from my Henry Ruggs obsession and <laughs> desperate wish, which I knew was never going to happen. The player who I most wanted to end up on the Ravens was LSU linebacker Patrick Queen. And yeah. the fact that he fell to them at 28 is actually a marvel to me. I, I, I'm in shock still. Their biggest need was inside linebacker. And they got a start at that position. I think that, you know, DK obviously talked a lot about this while assessing Queen in his draft guide and throughout the draft run-up process. But to me, the fact that he's a guy you look at and say not as experienced, doesn't have quite as much college tape. I look at that as a positive on a team like the Ravens, you know, a team with a proven track record of taking talent and molding it into Mm -hmm. actual production. And it's like all upside from here. The speed, the versatility, the instincts. I just think he's going to be exceptional right away for that defense. Then you move on a little bit deeper into the draft. I think that the, the, there are plenty of, do they really need JK Dobbins detractors out there for, that second round pick. But to me, you know, again, queen in the first round, that was a need at linebacker. To me, the Dobbins pick and the queen pick represent this hybrid in draft strategies. Mm -hmm. You take need, the best available player for that need and for your scheme, but you also stick to that old school Ravens mindset that defined their drafts for so long and still does. The Newsom to DaCosta bridge of best value and best overall talent when it falls to you. The fact that they have... Ingram and Hill, Edwards, all of this 
rushing talent already doesn't mean that you shouldn't lean into a strength and plan for the future. So I was elated about that pick, and especially given the speed that Dobbins brings and the speed that you now see across that entire offense, especially given some of the receivers that they were able to get a little bit later into the draft. And I think that like time and time again, they did that throughout this draft. They got players who were falling below their draft stock. Dobbins, uh, yep. a-, a M defensive tackle, Matabuke, uh, uh, Texas receiver, Devin DeVernay. Those were all yeah. day two picks. SMU receiver, James Proch, <laughs> Iowa safety, Geno Stone in round seven. I mean, those are just incredible value picks throughout. And they still managed, in addition to all that, to address some offensive line needs. That was obviously yeah. another area of need after Yanda's departure. And I don't think that Yanda is a guy that you're going to replace instantly, obviously. Talking about a Hall of Fame exceptional. And a guy who had apparently superstar. apparently he had multiple backup power generators if needed, Yonda. And Justin Tucker was there. ready. Yeah. Justin Tucker was ready to drive them to Harbaugh and to Costa. That's how you know you have a strong, tightly knit group there, Kev. But <laughs> they did start amassing bodies. Can I stop you right there? Please. Does everyone who plays or works for the Ravens live in one forest? <laughs> What are you talking about? So they the 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 Tacosta and Harbaugh are back backdoor neighbors. I don't know if you saw this, and they could go talk. And then I guess Yonda's got is is on the other side of the, of the forest with backup generators. Forest. Justin Tucker is just driving <laughs> between them. I just imagine now that they're in some some yeah. sort of vi- Ravens village. It's like Robin Hood. Maybe yeah. so. Baltimore and County. Yonda's Kev, you giant. hop on the Beltway. You know. Pick up a crab cake, bag of crab chips, some burger cookies, maybe some otter buying cookies, drop off a generator for your friends and your teammates and call it a day. So Mel Kuyper <laughs> had place. this. Mel Kuyper said that he had all five of the day two picks at least 20 spots higher on his big board. That's the mm. kind of value that, that they were able to get. Yeah. Right. It was smart. They, teams. They, it's exactly what you said. They took the guys who were following who were good and got them at spots where they were steals almost across the board. So that's yes. that's a good draft from the Ravens. Now, yes. and I you found add speed on offense. You add pass rushing and run defending on defense. You start to add bodies on the line. I found it funny after the Ravens lost to the Titans that I got a bunch of questions on the pod, and I got some like when I do radio shows, or whatever. What do the Ravens need to get over the hump? Well, the the Ravens were the best team of football for most of last year. They had the MVP. Like they just happened to lose a game, and then Mahomes uh, took that and 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 ran with it uh, with the Ravens out by, by after the Tennessee game. So here's my question: What's okay. different about this season as opposed to last season? in January with with the pieces they now have. Is there anything where you point to and, and circle this and say this this Ravens team will change thusly after this weekend? It's a good question. It's a fair question. I mean, again, I don't think that it's anything about the roster that has right. inhibited them in the playoffs the last couple of years. I really don't. Certainly not last year. I mean, you're, you're talking about a 14-win team. Yeah. It's a weird game. It was just weird a weird game. game. Some of it is, I think, you know, I, I, I have spent a lot of time this offseason thinking about Marlon Humphrey's post-game comments. You know, what, what are people going to say about you? They're going to say we're a bunch of losers. That's the hurdle now, is getting yeah, yeah. over that feeling that they have, that anxiety about whether they can win that big game in the playoffs. And as soon as you do it once, it's gone forever. I mean, unless mm-hmm. you're Clayton Kershaw, who I... Still feel bad for all the time. Got to get you that baseball <laughs> reference you love, Kev. I love it. it. I love baseball. Um, okay. All right. So now mine. Kay. So I look at the draft 
through a bunch of different prisms, right? And I think that there's teams who could say they won the draft in their own little way. I think that you look at a team like the Minnesota Vikings, who strangely, uh, not strangely, but they had 15 picks, uh, which is the most they've ever had. (laughs) And the reason that they did that was because they wanted to, they knew that free agents, uh, undrafted free agency was going to be so difficult that they wanted to just get all the guys they would have signed in undrafted free agency on day three of the draft, which I think is an interesting strategy. It's, it's low mm-hmm. risk in the grand scheme of things. And I think that in a weird year, that's the kind of forward thinking you need to be doing. Um, I think the Bucks got a lot better. Uh, I, for the, what the Jaguars want to do, they took a lot of great athletes who can develop. And I think that they're maybe taking a step back this year. Maybe they're Trevor Lawrence candidates next year. And, and, and that's a great draft. I think the Jets had an awesome draft. I love the Jets. And you know, then you look at just, you know, I think you have to include players who are traded. You know, the Niners had a great draft because they got Trent mm-hmm. Williams and they got the, the, the picks they needed. Um, and right. so I, I think there's a lot of different ways you look at who won the draft. Having said that, the team I think I came away the most impressed with this weekend, and I know that this is so chalky because they had the first overall pick, but when I think about the, the Bengals' first three picks, Joe Burrow, mm-hmm. T. Higgins, Logan Wilson out of Wyoming, that's a team where now I know their identity going forward now, and I think it's really cool. So Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow. Okay, We've, we've done enough talk about Joe Burrow. T. Higgins, um, Bob McGinn had a scout saying he probably has the best hands in the draft. Uh, PFF has him, uh, his 15 receptions of 20 or more yards downfield were the most among any power five wide receiver. This is a target Joe Burrow needs. What did we say about Joe Burrow coming into this? He's best at identifying mismatches. Mm-hmm. And now you give a guy who maybe has the best ca- catch radius in the draft, a huge catch radius, and you give him to Joe Burrow in, in, in to go five wide. Maybe if you wanted to, you have AJ green, obviously. Um, I really just, I, I really enjoyed this, this T Higgins thing. And, from where I look at it, this was so deep. You know, I saw a quote on the Athletic earlier this week where they said that this might be the deepest receiver group in in you know, maybe ever. But there's not a Julio Jones or a Calvin Johnson, so it really just comes down to what type of receiver you want. Because there's not some huge talent where you're going to say, okay, this guy is a generational player. It's more of there's just a bunch of really good guys, and and, and fit is going to be really important. So I'm in on this T Higgins thing. I think it's going to help. Joe Burrow run the, the type of offense that relies on vision um, and mismatches that he wants to. And then Logan Wilson. Look, as soon as Logan Wilson was taken, Daniel Jeremiah said that that he might be the steal of the draft. Um, you know, he's got he's 240 pounds. He's athletic. He seems to know where to be all the time. I, I, I think that this – I, I think that – a lot of times with winning the draft, we look at all seven rounds. And a lot of times, you know, if there's a reason a guy is a fourth, fifth, sixth round pick, so I tend to not look at that. Uh, I look at the first maybe four rounds, three rounds. And when I look at it that way, I'm I'm in on what the Bengals have done. Akeem Davis Gaither from Appalachian State is also one of my favorite players yeah. in this whole draft. Like he, he yeah. was ranked 50th on my board. They got him at 107. He was one of the surprise day, day three fallers. I think he was the first pick of day three. Um, so he's another guy to add on to to that list. I think he's just really, really fun. He, he kind of reminds me of uh, Shaquem Griffin in the way that he's he can be used. He's a pass rusher specialist type guy, but he can also play mm-hmm. like a little off the ball stuff, safety linebacker type thing. So he was uh, he he was one of my favorite day three picks, Barnon. So yeah, I think they killed that draft too. What happens now with Andy Dalton? <laughs> right. So. Zach Taylor has come out and said because of the weirdness of this year that there, there's an argument for keeping him. Right. I think Do you that believe probably that has, that's true? Well, I, I think that in theory it is. I, I'm sure that part of the rationale is that they just haven't gotten a good enough offer. No one right. tried to give them a second round pick or whatever. I think that they 
I think there's been a lot of weirdness the whole time. I mean, they they didn't let him really pursue a trade last year when he was benched for Ryan Finley in the middle of the season. I think the way they've handled the Dalton thing could have been better. I think that, I mean, I, I understand the part about the weirdness of the offseason, but on the other side, like Dalton's not actually going to get to hang out with Joe Burrow until right. quite late in the in the process here. <laughs> it's not like he can, you know, come next week and and start putting him under his wing here. Maybe they can Zoom or Skype or text or whatever, but it's not the same sort of mentoring situation there would be in normal years. Um, right. I think Andy Dalton can still be a really productive quarterback in the right scheme. And I think that maybe I, I, I think it was Mike Tannenbaum was on the show a couple weeks ago. And I think he made the, the comment that you almost end up with a, a Sam Bradford like trade ship where you wait until August 15th and then someone has an injury or someone doesn't like their, their depth chart and they panic and all of a sudden they mm-hmm. give up in Bradford's case it was a first, but with Dalton yeah. probably more realistic would be a second. I think having Andy Dalton in your roster is better than giving him up for nothing. There was a reason that I predicted Jordan Love would go to the Packers. There was a reason that I think Jalen Hurts makes sense for the Eagles. And that's it. There were 28 teams probably that had pretty set plans at quarterback. And you knew some of these guys were going to be expendable. Andy Dalton is one of them. Jameis Winston now has to go be a backup, which I think is 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 the best the best place for him, um, maybe aside from the Chiefs with Andy Reid to learn under him. Um, but I, I think going to a quarterback guru, getting his stock up a little bit, I think that's a great idea. And so I think that that's where you almost think that Cam Newton should do a souped up version of that, which is go somewhere with a good coach, but a place where he has a path to start. And I, I, I'm not sure where that is right now, especially with, with the the chargers drafting a quarterback in the top 10, but there's just more competent quarterbacks than there are spots. We knew that. And that's why we saw not only Jordan Love going to a place with one of the most talented starters in football, and not only Jalen Hurts going to a place with obviously a, pr- a pretty set at quarterback, but Jacob Eason and, and Jake Fromm dropping. Like, this is a very weird year to be a quarterback at all. Even if you are a starter nailed on, your team might draft a guy. So, this is what happens when there's an oversupply of quarterbacks. It's never happened in my lifetime, I don't think. And I, this, this draft reflected that. Worst draft, Danny <laughs> Kelly. Yeah, so I'm Danny and I the, have the same pick. I'm picking the Packers, and it felt like pretty obvious pick for me. Um, yeah, and I think it's a philosophical thing. Like, you could get behind the Packers' decision making from a long term perspective, um, but to me, I always try and think of the NFL, and I know I know GMs maybe don't do this, but like in three year like windows, it's like. This makes absolutely no sense for 2020 at all for them. <laughs> right. And you have an aging quarterback. I personally believe you absolutely have to maximize his window because right. you don't know what's going to happen three years down the road. Your entire roster could be different in three years. So to me, it just made no sense for them to do what they did. They traded up into the first round. Mm-hmm. Again, it's different from the, the Brett Favre scenario where it kind of just fell into their lap. They traded up into the first round to get Jordan Love. The second round, they they draft they drafted a running back that will pair with their superstar running back and Sorry. possibly make that group a net negative. Like he's not as good as as Aaron Jones, and having him on the field is taking Aaron Jones off the field. Right. So I just to me that doesn't make a lot of sense either. Um, gives him a little bit more depth, but like, is that really what you want early in the second round? No, or whatever it was in the second round. Um, in the third round, they drafted an H back who is going to be like their Kyle Juszczyk type player. Um, But he's going to be competing, I guess, with, with, you know, to to get snaps with a lot of the tight end groups. He's not going to be a full-time player. So to me, that just didn't make a ton of sense. 
Essentially, they got three, three either backups or heavy rotational players in and tw- for twenty twenty for a guy like Aaron Rodgers who has been, you know, first of all their their relationship isn't I, I would say the strongest as it was, and now it's just going to be like very very tense. I I think it's going to be very interesting to watch this year. And so, anyways, he he wanted some stars, he wanted some receivers, and the greatest. You know the what we perceive to be the best deepest receiver class in years. They didn't draft a receiver. You know, I I don't know. I just it to me it just made no sense for what they're doing in 2020. Yeah, they had an interesting yeah. draft for 2022. <laughs> right. That that's what this is, and it's honestly fucking bizarre. Like yeah. I, I, I Danny ran through it all, but the the Jordan Love thing has not improved with age over the last three days in terms of how people are processing it. It's only gotten stranger, I think. And, you know, Danny, to your point about Rogers and the window, I think one of the things that makes this so confounding, despite what I think we all agree with that Kevin has already said about amassing quarterbacks and how important that is in the NFL these days, whichever way you cut it, it doesn't make sense. If you Mm -hmm. say, well, you have a 36-year-old quarterback, so you need to maximize and build the best possible team around him that you can now. And again, this is a team that went deep into the playoffs last year. Like, they're not that far away. A couple pieces, a couple smart decisions, and you can maybe get over that hump. And you don't do that in any meaningful way at the top of the draft to help your team now. Then you cut it the other way and say, well, maybe the window isn't that urgent because they still have Roger signed for a few years. Well, then how long is Jordan Love going to sit on the bench backing him up? You know, and again, we've we've exhausted and this. We the don't rookie need to contract. Con- yeah. yeah, we don't need to continue to rehash and relitigate the same point about how this is not the same as when they took Aaron Rodgers with Brett Favre still on the team for all of the reasons we've already gone through. The Dylan, the AJ Dillon pick was definitely one of the weirdest in the entire draft. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll read a little quote from PFF to you guys. <laughs> Boston <laughs> College's AJ Dillon does not rank inside the top 250 on PFF's draft board. He ranked outside the top 110 on the consensus board, and he was selected at pick number 62. It's not what you want. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the the failure to address a massive position of need by not taking a wide receiver is honestly like borderline malpractice. 36 wide receivers were taken in this draft, and the Packers did not select a single one of them. I just don't <laughs> understand that. They must be really high on Devin Funches. <laughs> like really, really high on him. I think that's I saw this. Make us feel better. <laughs> After the draft, I believe, I believe that either the head coach or the GM, I can't remember who said it. They, they, every time that they had a chance to draft a receiver, they said they they didn't think it would be an upgrade for the the group that they have or something along those lines. It was like that's that's some confidence in the Alan Lazards and and you know Devin Funchesses of the world. So we'll see. Really weird. I'm surprised we're not three for three here, Kev. Who are you? Who are you going with instead? Well, I just don't. I didn't want to go three for three, but I also <laughs> would like to briefly defend part of the strategy of the Packers. Go for it. Which is they many times said they believed in their board and they believed in best player available. And mm-hmm. every GM says they believe in best player available, and you don't. When you actually see what best player available looks like, it ends up looking a bit like this. And it reminds me, I wrote this in my column on Friday, but it reminds me a little bit of, I was talking to someone who counts cards at a casino one time, and they were like, when you do this, you will look crazy. 
because you'll be doing something that is just totally irrational because to, you're trying to get the, the you know the, the the cards right, and people will look at you like you're crazy. And that's kind of what best player available is. It's a strategy that sometimes makes makes you look like you have no idea what you're doing. Having said that, <laughs> having said that, the problem I have is not best player available. The problem is the actual players and the strategy. And mm. with sure. the Packers, it looks like they're trying to become San Francisco on the fly. And the way their team was built already, I just feel like you you can do that as a longer term project, but you don't need to do it right now. And I feel like the the part of the story of the last couple of years in football is just taking what you have and molding it a little bit to what you want. You don't have to just completely, you know, a football team is like is like a huge like tanker, right? And and it takes a while to turn that stuff around. And <laughs> yeah. you can start doing it, but you can't do it all in one draft. And I would have I would have liked them to almost go half and half a little bit and say, okay, this is for Aaron right now in the 2020 team. This is for a longer-term project to make this a bulky physical team. So that's that my, that my that's my problem with the Packers draft, but I, I understand the philosophy behind it. I did not like the Chargers draft. Um, I did not like, and this is coming from someone who, who tends to love the Chargers picks, and I love mm-hmm. the Chargers talent, and they're another team that tends to not overthink it. Um, when Joey Bosa was available, you take Joey Bosa. When Derwin James was slipping, you take Derwin James. This is yep. not complicated. And I like Tom Telesco as a GM. I did not like the Justin Herbert pick. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not a huge Herbert fan just generally. And Kenneth Murray is fine. Um, this is from PFF. Basically, Patrick Queen is a bet was the better off ball linebacker available with that pick. Um, he, Murray was 62nd on their board and they traded up to the point that, and this is the point they make as well. Uh, the two players at 37 and 71 probably would have provided more value than Kenneth Murray. So from a, from a value standpoint, I didn't love it. Uh, I don't think they got much better. I think that they are a team that was on the cusp of, it's hard to say any AFC West's teams on the cusp of competing when Patrick Mahomes on that, in that division, but they were on the cusp of being a, a quite good team. Like they mm-hmm. were two years ago. I just don't know what they did to improve themselves for 2020 or even down the road this year. Yeah. I do not like taking Kenneth Murray ahead of Patrick queen. Obviously I think we're all in strong, firm agreement <laughs> there, but I, I think I like that pick a little bit more than you did Kev. And I, I really liked the KJ Hill pick for them, the receiver mm-hmm. out of Ohio State in the seventh round. I think that he's a very technically precise receiver and somebody who could end up looking like, if not a draft steal, at least like a, a productive contributor that they got very late. So that kind of saves them from being in the Packers territory for me, though I I'm with you on the Herbert pick, as we've already discussed. It's just a little underwhelming overall. Yeah. yeah. The, the draft or Herbert or both? Both. Both. I would say <laughs> I was talking about the whole draft class. Um, I agree with Mal on, on the KJ Hill. Like he was very, very good at the senior bowl. He didn't run well, yeah. so that kind of dropped him down boards, but very good route runner. Could be like an early contributor. Um, the Gilman pick, I think, is pretty fun too. He was good at the senior bowl too, but like if you're talking about a couple late round picks like that you like, that's. I think that tells you enough about the whole draft to to that's what it tells you about the draft. Like, I don't think that they hit a home run with this one. I wouldn't say they're maybe the worst, but I certainly feel underwhelmed about them. And and as a team that I think has a defense that could give them the chance to really like compete in the in the NFL next year. Like, it just feels like this was a very long term draft. I guess so. um, Kind of in the same, I guess, general region of the Packers. Okay. 
weirdest pick slash we were going to call this biggest reach. And then we just decided to, to make it whatever we wanted to make it. Danny Kelly, weirdest pick. Yeah. So I know that you guys already discussed the Jalen hurts pick for the Eagles. Um, I just wanted to kind of add, we got to discuss Philadelphia would like us to discuss it for (laughs) quite a while. So to me, this felt like a very much like a luxury pick for a team that did not need to make that pick, especially Mm -hmm. in like you guys were alluding to earlier, like in a, in a, free agent class in a, in a scenario where they could have gone out and gotten like a Dalton for a backup or whatever. Um, they could have gone out and got Cam Newton, who's still a free agent. Um, if they want to have that high-level quarterback that can come in, backup quarterback, or as they like to call it, second quarterback that can come in yeah. and carry the team if Carson Wentz gets hurt, which he obviously has gotten hurt a few times right. in his career, then I like I completely understand like them spending money or whatever and bringing in like a quality backup. I think spending the fifty third pick, to me, that's still a premium pick on a on a developmental quarterback like Jalen Hurts. Um, a year after handing your quarterback a four year contract, that you know a twenty seven year old quarterback too. He's not like old. So to me, it just it feels like a, a misallocation of resources personally. Um, even if they're going to use him on like the Taysom Hill thing, like that doesn't move the needle for me. Um, so, I mean, it's never a bad thing to have good quarterbacks on your team. I understand like their side of the thing, but to me, it it just was not a move that makes them better in the in the short term. Um, and they're a team to me that is like like the other teams we've been talking about that has a chance to like had a chance to get like way better in this draft, and I think they missed on that one. Mallory, Jalen Hurts. I'm a Jalen Hurts fan. Same, you know, to be clear. And yeah. yeah, no, no, of course. And I, I think that we all are rooting for Jalen Hurts and are excited to see what he does in the NFL. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sounds like you're about to just destroy this pick. Doesn't mean the pick <laughs> made a ton of sense. Yeah. I don't I don't dislike it as much as, as DK, but certainly Phil- for... the city of Philadelphia. <laughs> where it was They're in the draft. They're not handling it, was, it. yeah. It was confusing. It was not as uh, quite as confusing as the Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers situation. And I think yeah. th- that's where you start to assess Philly. Two things. One, Philly's draft overall, which I think is worth mm-hmm. us talking about for a minute. And also Philly's established quarterback philosophy, which, Kevin, you were you know a bit of a scholar in the Philly QB 101 or two. You've advanced to 201 at this point. Jeffrey Lurie told me that their goal is always to have a top 10 quarterback as their second quarterback. Wow. There you go. The path so, forward for that. On the one hand, Philadelphia won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles, the backup quarterback. They mm-hmm. know as well as any team in the NFL the value of having somebody there who could step in and not only contribute, but actually lead. The flip side is what played out after that, which was an almost inescapable narrative about how to handle that dynamic. And so I think that aspect is what makes it a little bit odd to me to willfully opt back into the thing that you just worked hard to escape. Yep. But it's the NFL. Teams (laughs) constantly (laughs) do the same thing over and over again, even when it doesn't necessarily make sense to the rest of us. And it's hard to argue with the Super Bowl. So I like it a little bit more than some of the people who are melting down about it, but I do think that overall, like I, I, I'm going to talk about Justin Jefferson later when we get to another category here, but I thought that taking Jalen Rager ahead of Justin Jefferson was strange and pairing that with what I, I, what I thought was a bit of a reach 
for that, not I thought taking a receiver in the first round made sense, but for that particular receiver and then taking Jalen with the second pick was a little bit odd. And Philly's draft was one where throughout the entire three days I, w- I was constantly weaving in and out of how I felt about it. Like I had a lot of clarity about most of the other teams. It's like, do I love what they're doing? <laughs> do I despise what they're doing? And I'm curious to know what you guys think about where they netted out overall, because obviously, especially with a quarterback, you tend to just assess it on its own, you being the collective football public. But how does this all fit together? How do all of the moves that they made help them now and for the next few years? So Zach Barron, a friend of the ringer, wrote a great GQ story about Jason Isbell the other day, and we emailed about it, and he wanted some reassurance about the Eagles. And I said... I got a feeling how he's how he's gonna crush this one. Okay. Like let's let's uh I feel like he's gonna, you know, he's working from home, he's gonna get a little groove. And he said, Thank you for the reassurance. And uh as the draft started to develop, I felt very bad about saying that to Zach Barron and getting more excited <laughs> about this. And then on day two, day three, the way it started to to come together, I now feel okay about the Eagles draft. I now feel okay about I still consider Howie Roseman to be uh, one of the best value GMs in football. I'm going to defend the Jalen Hurts pick to a point. Mm-hmm. I understand what the, they're trying to do with the quote, what you know, essentially what what Charles Robinson reported, which was it's it's going to be Taysom Hill on steroids. Press Taylor, the quarterbacks coach, uh, had, or the offensive assistant, has talked about in the past how the next revolution is two quarterbacks. At one time, Mike Tannenbaum on the show said that maybe the Ravens take Jalen Hurts and and just break football, which would just be unbelievable. But I understand what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And there's a case that they could revolutionize offense so much that this looks like a steal. Right. Mm. I'm not going to make that case. I'm just throwing out <laughs> that there's a case to be made. Yeah. I think I agree no, with you. No, but that's you. a great I, point, Kevin, because if something like that is even in the realm of possibility, then it, to- it does totally alter how you have to assess the pick. It changes it your perspective, yeah. I think it's a high-ceiling pick, and right. I understand the necessity. I I, I, when I put out that, that quote from Jeffrey Lurie, they told me two years ago about the second quarterback thing, I got a couple of responses that were the same across the board, which was, how about one linebacker before two quarterbacks? And I thought that was an interesting point. I understand that. But I think that it almost comes back to what we talked about with the Packers. You don't want to know what what best player available actually looks like because it's this. And it stresses fans out. Mm-hmm. And it almost reminds me of the Paul D. Podesta line about analytics, right? Which is every owner says, it's, I want to get on the roller coaster. And then when the roller coaster starts to get scary... What you don't want is for an owner to say, I need to get off the roller coaster right now. You have to just complete the roller coaster, right? And that's kind of what best player available is for me. Um, And I understand what they're trying to do. I'm I'm okay with it. Uh, Mallory. Yes, sir. Weirdest pick. So, (laughs) did you guys hear about what the Patriots did in the fifth round? (laughs) (sighs) I heard about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Should we talk about it for a minute? Uh, we sure can. Which part <laughs> would you like to talk about? So the Patriots drafted a kicker in the fifth round. They drafted a kicker out of Marshall, uh, Justin Rohrwasser. Danny, is that true? So- sounds is that, right. Is that pronunciation cor- correct? I'll be completely honest with you guys. I did not study the kicking group at all. I saw not him not kick a 53-yarder to win a game. That's all I saw. And I go. saw some, some tattoos. The That's worth a fifth round pick, don't you think? 
<laughs> so a couple things that we can run through here. Yeah. One is where they selected him. Now, the Patriots have a long and storied history of taking specialists fairly highly in the draft, and it's not actually that unusual when you're thinking about who's doing it, right? So yeah. it might seem strange. They drafted a long snapper. <laughs> Steven Gutzkowski was a fourth-round pick in 2006. He was a fourth-round pick, yes. So He's it gone. might seem strange when you first see the kicker pick pop up in the, four, in the fifth round, and you're like, Jake Fromm is still on the board. What's happening here? Which was yeah. a reaction that I had oh, wow. in real time. <laughs> but when you factor in the Patriots philosophy, it feels a little less strange in that sense. So then you shift to the next factor, which is, was this the right kicker to take? Was this the right kicker to become the first kicker off, off the board? Now, I don't know what the Patriots kicker study looked like, but I know that it's strange <laughs> to me that Rodrigo... Blankenship didn't get drafted and yeah, Tyler Bass. Indy. Yeah. Ended up signing with the Colts, which I think will be great. Tyler Bass went in the sixth round and the Patriots took somebody who did not have a draft profile on NFL.com. <laughs> so that's, that's neat and interesting. Then you get into the fact, and this obviously all packages together to make it just a very strange overall situation in the wake of the pick. The discussion was not about his ability to help on the field. It was about his tattoos. And yep. he had to immediately defend himself to the press and tell the press that he does not, in fact, have a three percenters tattoo, a right wing militia groups tattoo on his arm. That's not where you want to be at any point. Well, I, 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 I don't. He, he said that he got it when he was very young and thought it meant something else and then developed into something. Yes, and, and that he will be it covering was, it up. He will be covering it up. There's a lot more questions and answers, I would say, about the whole thing. Correct. So, obviously, Gaskowski's gone. They need a kicker. When yeah. you saw the kicking situation across much of the league in 2019, seems very valid to invest in the position. But it's a why him and why there question. And then you compound it with the tattoo situation and the, also the fact that they did not draft a quarterback or a wide receiver. And it's just really odd. Yeah. I, I'm Seems also like it would have been very easy to not make that pick. Right. Or not make it there. <laughs> and this is not a one day story with the tattoos. Yeah. Like yeah. there's a, again, there are a lot of questions that are outstanding that, that, will be asked and that he needs to answer. Um, weirdest pick from me, it's a tie. It's two first-round reaches. And, and I, listen, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, actually my first day working for the Ringer was the draft in Chicago. And I, I thought Jack Conklin was a bad pick. And at points, he looked like a bad pick. And that's why they didn't pick up his fifth-year option and all that stuff. But he turned out to be a, a really good tackle. And now he's in Cleveland. And so I am giving the Titans some leeway on this. Isaiah Wilson, I think, was a reach. I think a lot of people agree with this. He's huge. He's 350 pounds. Um, he needs to develop a little bit his technique. He's a third-year sophomore. Um, I don't think anyone had him in, in the first round. Um, maybe some folks did. I, you know, I, I think McGinn had a quote from The Athletic that was said that, that it would shock him if, if Isaiah Wilson went in the first round. Mel Kuyper... Mm -hmm. says he saw, saw the tools for, for Wilson and he saw the size and obviously this stuff, but he questions Mel Kuyper whether or not 
Wilson can even start right away over Dennis Kelly, who's obviously a veteran. And, and I, I think I like Dennis Kelly, but if you're drafting a guy in the first round and, and you can't beat out Dennis Kelly, I'm not sure why he was a first round pick. That's all. And right. so he doesn't immediately replace, if he doesn't immediately replace Jack Conklin, I don't know about that value. Um, mm-hmm. And so again, John Robinson has proven me wrong before on this stuff, but that's just from a value standpoint. If you wanted to get Isaiah Wilson, you probably could have gotten him a lot later. I would also say the same thing, but the 19th overall pick to the Raiders, Damon Arnett, uh, 63rd on PFF's big board. I This is what the Raiders do. I understand it. When they like a guy, they go get him. This is part of the reason that I think people, a lot of people didn't like their draft last year initially is because they went up and got guys 20 picks early, 30 picks early. And I understand the strategy. They like these guys on their board and they get them. I, I, I just wish that, I don't know, you, you could have gotten Damon Arnett later. And so I don't think either of these guys, by the way, Damon Arnett, he had some of the best uh, metrics in football last year, like PFF, all the saber metrics, what are saber metrics analytics wise? Um, <laughs> he is a great pick and he had some of the best passer ratings against last season. I am in as on a, as a player on Damon Arnett. I just didn't necessarily like the value of the overall Danny, any, any nits to pick there. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I think it, it felt like a reach, um, especially with some of the guys still on the board. Um, you know, Christian Fulton ended up falling yeah. and Diggs. Fell a little bit, obviously. Jalen Johnson was a guy that I had ranked higher. Jeff Gladney was a guy I had ranked higher. That said, I, I do think he's a good player. You, you definitely alluded to that. I think he's a good player. <clears throat> what I had understood and heard and kind of the whispers were that there were some off-field concerns about him, like, you know, like the whatever. I, we don't know any of the off-field stuff because it's just something that teams have to deal with. But there was concerns about that. So I think there was a chance he could have fallen. Um, ultimately... If I'm going off my board, it felt like a, a pretty solid reach. Um, mm-hmm. Then again, you know, there was a, a quite a bit worse reaches in the first round. Isaiah Wilson was certainly one of them, based on my board. Seahawks made one um, in linebacker uh, Jordan Brooks. There, this wasn't the worst reach, I think, but um, with the depth of the, the cornerback class, and, and I think you could say the same thing about AJ Terrell going to uh, the Falcons. Yeah. It, both of those picks are just. I don't know. I guess those guys, they, the teams had convictions on those guys, but on the yeah, surface, they did corners. It, I get it. On the surface, it looked like a need-based reach, but mm-hmm. we'll find out. I mean, this is one of those things we'll find out in a few years if it looks that way. But that's how it felt based on the information that we have today. I, again, I think both these guys have the case, the chance. Both of my my guys have a chance to be a really. Um, NFL starters who contribute, and, and I don't think that that's they're necessarily bad players. It's just. I think the best GMs not only find the best players, but they get them at good value. That's what the Ravens have have made their bones on, and that's what Bill Belichick has made their, his bones on. It, this is this is a value based league, and I think they're halfway there. Again, I think the Raiders had. I love the Raiders draft uh, in general. Just the players they got. If we're just stacking up talent right now, I love what the Raiders did from a value standpoint. That's where I question it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know how I feel about rugs. So obviously, yes. That's a tremendous pick in my mind, though, to illustrate what you just said, Kev, taking him at 12 overall and taking him before Judy and and Lamb is where you start to go, hmm. Yeah. You know, I I think that the Raiders had a very strange, like, dissonance-inducing draft where I I really like a lot of the players they took, but when you start to look at where they took them and how it all fits together, it's a little bit more head-scratching. I will say, though, getting Lynn Bowden Jr. in round three is one of of the picks Mm -hmm. of the draft. 
I, I badly, agree. badly, badly wanted him to end up in Baltimore. I love that pick. They're listing him as a running back, which I think is fascinating. The, Just let it rip. The Raiders are. I, I hope now, does anyone disagree with me? I hope that Marcus Mariota starts for them now. That That's just amazing. the most fun yeah. offense. I don't even, I'm not even sure. I don't care if they're good or not. Like, they, that's not my concern. It's not, I, don't, I don't care if anybody's good. That's, I'm a neutral observer. I, I want, but from an entertainment standpoint, that's right. where you get that. I understand the car stuff. You can get the ball in the hands of some of these guys and then they can, they can catch and run. I understand it can all work. And I'm not sure if Mariota is the football answer, but from the entertainment side, yes, that's the answer. Kev, would that's you all. say you're, Rooting for the story? I'm rooting for the story, <laughs> as, as always. Um, all right. <sighs> Next category. Player we're not talking about enough. Pick we're not talking about enough. Steal no, the draft. you skipped one. What? We're only oh, on number shit. four, amazingly. Oh, my I God. Know. I Time skipped the most the important pace. thing. No, because, <laughs> no, because you guys had so few notes on this that I just scrolled right past it. <laughs> You can't Best. you can't note what's in your heart, Kev, you know? This is over this is uh overarching can can be anyone, coach, mm-hmm. player, GM, commissioner. Who had the bi- best Skype presence? Danny Kelly. I one of my favorite moments on day 2 was the inexplicable <laughs> Roger Goodell lounging on the chair with like his legs spread out, like Danny, say, Danny, say, say how you described this in the notes. Just say it. <laughs> I'm almost certain. Well, okay. First of all, this is the edibles version, Roger. Yeah, Goodell. there you go. Edibles Goodell. <laughs> like when the edibles hit, like some at some point late in the third round, the edibles hit, and Goodell just was like, "Okay, I'm gonna lean back and just." mail these in and then he didn't come on the third day too which is hilarious like he he like barely did anything in he day showed three. up he showed up and it was just like <laughs> fuck this to be real like i don't think he actually had edibles <laughs> this is this is my theory you, and baby. i'm actually like extremely for clarifying danny <laughs> i'm extremely confident in my theory that roger goodell at some point in the evening like started having back spasms he threw his back out if you're if you see how he's sitting you, on the chair, you, you've done this before. You've yeah. had back problems before. So I have I have is, back spra- I have back spasms that crop up like every couple of months, and the way he was sitting on that chair is like exactly how I move when I throw my back out. And so I think halfway through the night he threw his back out, and then he had to take like muscle relaxers, and he was just like kind of high. <laughs> like it all adds up to me. So, anyways, that was like my favorite moment. It was absolutely inexplicable. He's just like lounging, and again, like full on, like spread leg crotch view of like the, the like you'd think they have like someone telling him like, buddy, sit up a little. <laughs> it was so funny. I liked I, it. I don't think he was high. Oh I think God. he was. I think he was living for the moment. I think he was getting more relaxed with everybody. <laughs> yeah, he knew. He knew. He knew that 16 million Americans were just taking it all in, loving the virtual draft, and he was saying, yeah. "I got this." And he got more and more casual. He went from a jacket to a sweater to a quarter zip. To then a t-shirt. t-shirt. This was all. This was all mapped out. The t-shirt <laughs> of his wife's on, his wife's documentary. Full on dad yeah. at the at the grill vibes by the end of this. <laughs> it was remarkable to watch. I I really enjoyed it. It you know it can't be easy to have to stay on camera for that long. Like it yeah. must be exhausting. And again. You saw the M&M jar and how many of those he was eating. <laughs> and that gives you a little bit of a sugar boost. But when the crash hits, it really hits. Yeah. 
That's true. I, it, Goodell was in my my consideration set here as well, as was. I think we we would all consider it a dereliction of duty. He's not our pick, but we have to at least mention Andy Reid, right? We have to at least spend a moment talking about Andy Reid and yeah. the incredible aura that he was cultivating and sending out into the ether for all of us to consume. <laughs> the layered icy beverage, the shirts. Vibes guy. The artwork All-time behind vibes him. Guy. Incredible work. Uh, another it honorable was, mention was for me. A Tommy, it, was Tommy, it was a Tommy Bahama commercial. <laughs> and it was an effective one because here we are talking about it and how meaningful My wife won't let us. me wear a Tommy Bahama and she's right to do it. <laughs> Wait. Have you guys your, you've, your you've wife tried to? edits your fashion choices? No. And you no, still are rocking the things you're rocking? Especially when That's I was withheld? younger. Especially when I was younger. Like Tommy Bahama, you're issued Tommy Bahama when you're in Florida. Florida man, sure. Yeah. You just here's a Tommy Bahama quarter zip. I actually have a Tommy Bahama quarter zip. That wouldn't worry about it. But like I have a uh I have <laughs> a number of Tommy Bahama. First of all, Tommy Bahama, their shirts, like if you have a small, it fits like a punch. Like an extra large, yeah. Yeah, because sure. they're four older gentlemen <laughs> who are in the in the American South no. have when have beach homes. And so Comfort. those people those people tend to trend larger and so it's a tough break to to you know to try to pull off Tommy Bahama as as not a 60 year old dad and I think my wife has recognized that she has veto power uh, yeah she does yeah that makes sense <laughs> all right speaking of relaxation yeah Mallory my pick I did consider the person you're gonna pick Kev but I'll, I'll wait to share my support until you get to your pick my pick is Cliff Kingsbury, who <laughs> redefined quarantine vibes and what is possible <laughs> for a remote experience. This was, it, it could have come off as self-parody for somebody who for the bulk of his presence in our lives has been compared to Ryan Gosling and put yeah. in this movie star heartthrob mold. And yet he made it work flawlessly. It was like being on a movie set. You could pick that house up and put it in Malibu and you wouldn't think twice about it. He spawned so many tweets, so many memes, so much thirst, aspiration. Mahomes, who of course played for Cliff at Texas Tech, tweeted, I'm trying to have a crib like Cliff. <laughs> just, just absolutely exceptional. Oh the God. honey, honey badger <laughs> replied to that and said, "No wonder they couldn't afford me anymore." Yeah. <laughs> my ass off. Just amazing. Everybody was having so much fun. I mean, Cliff's crib inspired within hours a Lego replica, a very involved. <laughs> I didn't see that. Lego replica. I'll I'll slack you the tweet. It is absolutely remarkable. I'm going to drop this into Slack for you guys right now so that you can see it in real time. There's also a picture of Halo in there for you, but there is. Yeah, there's two. We've we've been sent two photos. One is a picture of your cat being next to you during this recording, <laughs> and one is Lego Cliff. 
Yeah, wow, so this, this is, is from, they even got the grill down. It's amazing. At Fast Copy, Lori Johnston, and there are multiple views of this Lego setup. They have Cliff's posture, that chill, relaxed couch vibe, the screens, mm-hmm. the yard work, the fire amazing. pit. <laughs> How'd they do the fire? That's impressive. Resplendent. Uh, I, I will say that getting new angles of Cliff's house, and there seems to there seem to be a new one every single round of the draft. Uh, was a top five most exciting thing. Like I would say, Lynn Bowden highlights were were very exciting. I would say that how the quarterbacks were going to sus- be sussed out, I think, was interesting. And then just a new a new angle of Cliff. Did you guys see the tweet from C.J. Fogler of a Cliff just standing? He has like these giant sliding doors into yes. his backyard. Was this the diplomatic immunity tweet? Yes, he's on the phone and it's just, quote, I'm not worried about the DEA. I've got diplomatic immunity. It's like, I I died when I saw that. So good. This was a, this draft was a digital internet experience and Cliff fed into that fully. It was yeah. outstanding internet fodder throughout the entire draft. I, I have nothing but respect for it. Yep. Such okay. chic, aspirational luxury. What about you, Kev? First of all, I don't think Bill Belichick had a terrible setup. Um, from just from a just from a like a living room. I love the table. I love the maps. Um, I, I love I love the whole nautical vibe. And <laughs> I think yeah. that the dog put it over the top. Nike just is tremendous. the dog's name. That shot was a top ten moment of the draft. So they go to the <laughs> oh Belichick. They put Easily. the Chiron. They put the Chiron up. <laughs> yeah. And it said, it said Bill Belichick head coach, and it was just the dog Nike perked up, very excited about life. And I just, I, I don't know how you, you get any funnier. And then he gave the dog a treat on camera. It was, uh, it, he is the king of bits in football. There was the shot a little bit later on, on night two, where Belichick was holding the football plush toy, clearly either attempting to lure Nike back into the shot or... And I like to think this is it. Had just finished playing with Nike while the draft was going on <laughs> and then realized he had to get back because they were on camera. Just remarkable stuff. Nike, exceptional, exceptional pup, Kev. There's a CNBC uh, profile of Nike, a little video out there that you can find about Belichick and his bond with Nike. It's remarkable. He keeps noting you can find this on Roger Sherman's Twitter feed if you're looking for it. Roger's, of course, been tweeting about this actively. <laughs> yeah. Belichick keeps noting throughout the video that he wanted to name the dog Jack. It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then just talks about how much he loves him. It's so sweet. I find it very unmooring and disoriented to see Belichick in these humanizing moments. But I love animals, and I thought this was absolutely remarkable. I loved it. I love the idea that he wanted to name the dog something, and he didn't get his way. <laughs> That video was amazing. (laughs) Tremendous. All right. Now we get to the steal of the draft that we're not talking enough about. We could keep doing the the Skype vibes thing for the next 30 minutes, but we'll we'll leave that aside. Danny Kelly, you got two. I've got a couple here. Just real quick, I'll run through them. Uh, Terrell Lewis with the Rams from Alabama. Um, He fell purely, I believe, just because of his injury history, but he's a very good player. Long, athletic, athletic. very good bend off the edge. He can kind of drop back. He can do a lot of things for them. The fact that he fell to, let's see, where did he fall to? He, he fell to number 84. He was like talked about as a potential first rounder at times. So he is 
to me, going to be a guy that we look back and like, man, that's crazy how he fall. But again, it's just because of the injury situation. And then the other one I wanted to talk about a little bit is Jonathan Taylor falling to the Colts oh at my God. Uh, 41. I loved this pick. I'm, I'm wondering if this is sort of a signal. You know, it's kind of a back and forth, like two steps forward, one step back type thing, because like Ezekiel Elliott did just get a giant contract. But it almost makes me think there's a little bit of like a changing in thinking for the NFL teams because analytically, stylistically, Taylor isn't that different of a prospect from Ezekiel Elliott or Leonard Fournette. And both of those guys went in the top five, like not that long ago. Um, I wouldn't say he's Saquon. He's not on Saquon's level, but he's a he is sort of the classic everything you want in a running back type thing. Big, fast, extremely fast, extremely athletic, um, home run speed, and durable. Like he had a lot of production in college, like crazy production in college. So everything about him is like he was like to me on the same level as those two guys as a prospect. And yet he fell out of the first round completely. He fell to 41. He wasn't the first running back taken. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, I'm a big believer in kind of the way the direction the NFL seems to be going that you don't need to take a running back in the first round, um, especially if they're not big passing game contributors. So like, I don't think this was a, a like super surprising. I guess it was just very interesting to me that a, a prospect of that caliber fell into the second round. I think that the mileage on his legs and the fumbles maybe the fumble thing, yeah, play play a part in it. But I, I mean, I think he's an out, outstanding player, one of my favorite players to watch in college the last few years, and it, w- what he is going to be able to potentially do behind that offensive line in Indianapolis <laughs> is fun. Yeah. exhilarating to think about. Mallory, steal of the draft. So this was one for me that. I think sometimes you have this, oh my God, this is the seal of the draft reaction in real time. And this was one for me that I kind of started to think about it this way a little bit later, a little bit after the fact, as I processed it. Alabama safety Xavier McKinney going to the Giants in round two. Definitely could have thrown out a handful of round one names here, even though we've talked about them ad nauseum. I still cannot believe Isaiah Simmons fell to eight. I still can't believe Jerry Judy fell to 15 and CeeDee Lamb fell to 17. But let's shake it up a little bit and talk about something new. <laughs> yeah. For, for McKinney, first of all, you know, I always love an Alabama defender. More specifically to him, just really, really strong value where they got him. I thought that he would be a first rounder. He was 19th on PFF's big board, just for a little bit of perspective compared to where he ultimately went. Safety isn't necessarily an urgent need for the Giants, but I think that, again, this is emblematic of a a theme of our discussion here. It's the kind of pick that a smart team makes when a player who shouldn't necessarily be there is there for you, and that player can help your team and be a building block for the future, you take him. And they did, which I think is encouraging when you're thinking about the direction of the (laughs) Giants franchise overall. And I I liked their draft in general. I think that what makes McKinney specifically so exciting, he is a highly, highly versatile defender. He operated in numerous capacities for the Crimson Tide, and he can absolutely do that in the NFL. It was interesting to see him talk about that in his post-draft interviews. Put me anywhere. You know, he can play any position in the defensive backfield. He can cover, he can blitz, he can move all around depending on scheme, depending on look. He's not necessarily the most blazingly fast guy. You know, he ran a 4-6-3-40, but I love the way he talks about that 
he's like calls it a fake time <laughs> and <laughs> brings up other times that he's clocked in faster and then says, look at my tape, which, yeah, look at his tape. Strong athlete, strong tackler, hits hard, plays smart. He's a really creative guy. He designs his own tattoos, which I thought was one of the fun nuggets that we got on draft night across the draft. And again, he just gives the team a lot of optionality, which I, I'm always drawn to a player who's going to open things up for the team. In general, I thought a lot of safeties in this draft fell into the surprising slide, but great value bucket. And that would include, you know, Grant Delpit from LSU, Antonio Winfield Jr., though obviously you have, you know, injury concerns there. Jordan Fuller, my dude, Gino, Gino Stone, all the way in round seven, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that was, that was the case for many safeties, but I just think McKinney is excellent value where they got him and can give them an incredible amount of choice and nimbleness. McKinney, it reminds me of, I, well, I don't, I don't want to come off like it's sounding like I'm, this is a negative, but like discount version of Isaiah Simmons, mm-hmm. not as big, not as fast, but ultimately used in a very similar way, like all over the formation, like you can line him up against a, a, a opposing team's top def- or top offense guy and then, and, and he can lock him down, or at least that's the idea and the theory behind it. I, I think the fact that both Simmons and McKinney are on this list is interesting, and yeah. um, I think the NFL is just, and we heard this before the draft with Simmons, like the NFL just maybe hasn't bought in completely to the the versatility thing. Derwin James fell in the draft. Like it's just Bizarre. kind of interesting. It's gonna it's gonna be fun to see how that evolves, and if we end up like, because I think all of us are on the same page. Like that versatility is super valuable. I think yeah. it'll be interesting to see if that's something the NFL ultimately adopts or if they just never kind of get there with that. I mean, part of it is that they have to be the case to have that kind of versatility is tied up in who gets, who gets them from a defensive coordinator standpoint. And you know, I think that there's a case we made that in some situations, Jabril peppers could have been used a million times better because he's just thinking about him. Kev. Yeah. That seems to have trended the other way. Okay. Uh, Derwin James has been used well, but obviously was injured last year. And so we don't know how that looks. Uh, Isaiah Simmons, I, I, I don't know how that's going to play out. Um, I'm, I think as a prospect, I think he's really good. Um, I want to see the plan for him. I mean, I, I think it's funny. I remember Daniel Jeremiah, a couple other people have talked about this, but in general, not, not, not about Simmons, but when you have a player like that, you need to have your defensive coordinator come up with a plan for him in like March. And then, then you're talking right. about what the player looks like in your system, not what he looked like at Clemson or not what he looked like against so-and-so in the college football playoff. Um, you need to know what he looks like because you're comparing him against so many other prospects that that you know their role. And I think that that's important. And I'm intrigued to see how Simmons goes. Speaking of Simmons, mm-hmm. my steal is Willie Gay Jr. Now, he punched his quarterback in the face and he injured him. He did punch his quarterback <laughs> in the face, Kevin. That's now, a thing and, that happened. And my recommendation is he does not do that to Patrick Mahomes. I feel like there's some value there for the Chiefs tied up in Mahomes that we're going to need to <laughs> need to shut that down. It's, Don't it's, coddle it's, the quarterback. You, you take the good. You take the good with the bad, <laughs> and um, you know we're gonna we're gonna coach that out of him. Okay. Um, leaving that aside, he also got suspended for academic fraud at one point. Leaving that aside, um, he's a really good athlete. You love your and, steal of the draft to come with multiple leaving that aside sentences right <laughs> off the bat. Love that. So, well, I'm listen, there's a reason he's a steal of the draft, okay? Right. 39-inch uh, vertical, almost 40, 39.5, 11.4, uh, 11, 
foot four inch broad jump, 243 pounds, ran well in the 40. Um, PFF loves him, uh, 93 career coverage grade. I think that there's again, uh, you have to take risks on this, but I think that with the linebacker cord that, that, that the Chiefs had last year, and that was their one of their glaring needs, quite frankly, um, was was getting something there that was just kind of something to something to look at, quite frankly, because they, that, that was when you looked at their linebacker core last year, you were just confused that they were in the Super Bowl, and then you realized how talented they were otherwise. If they get Willie Gay to be an Isaiah Simmons type, and he has he tests like he, he is, um, that is an absolute game changer for that defense. He is very very athletic. You have a type, Kevin. <laughs> I love I love athletes. I love yeah. athletes, and I believe that uh, punching your quarterback can be coached out of you. That's one of my <laughs> core philosophies. All right, yeah. most shocking slide. Mm. Um, my for me, th- this one maybe not like shocking is maybe not the right word, but you know Benjamin. Um, from Arizona State running back, fell all the way to the seventh round, almost went undrafted, which I thought he was going to be like a third or fourth round pick. So that one was confusing. I remember all throughout day three, I was just like, man, why is he still on the board there? Why is he still out there? There was a lot of running backs who I think he's better than um, that came off the board before him. So might have been just, I guess, injury related or something like that we didn't really know about before the draft. But to me, him falling all the way into the seventh round, 222nd pick was very shocking. And then um, ultimately, though, I think he, he landed in like the ideal situation. The Cardinals, I mean, for a seventh round pick anyway, um, the Cardinals, their run game was second in DVOA, DVOA last year, I believe. They they have a offense that uh, spreads the field, creates a lot of light boxes, creates space for the running backs, and... Their, their running backs are not under contract long term. There's an uh, there's a real I guess like path for him to to end up being like a pretty good pick. So, yeah. anyways, I th- I just thought that was an interesting one. There, I don't think there were too many quote shocking slides in this because um, mm-hmm. apart from the people that you guys are mentioning in this list, um, just because like most of them are injury related. Right. I cannot limit myself to one here. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh yeah. This is where. This is where the college football fan in me is just incapable of of exhibiting restraint, and I apologize in advance. I will try to go quickly here. So my first pick is Jake Fromm, and I want to be clear that this does not mean I think Jake Fromm should have been a second-round draft pick or will be a Hall of Fame starting quarterback and franchise cornerstone in the NFL. That said, Jake Fromm being the eighth quarterback taken and going 167th overall in round five Mm -hmm. was genuinely surprising to me. Mm -hmm. Didn't think he'd go in round two, but I thought he, I thought he might go in round three. I certainly thought he'd go in round four. I I had a, I had a moment of like, did I enter the upside down without realizing it when the jets (laughs) took, James Morgan out of FIU. James Morgan, who, by the way, did not unmute his line during the conference call. (laughs) Had to do it again. (laughs) Remarkable stuff. So Fromm has never been the quintessential NFL measurables guy, either in terms of his, his size or his arm strength. But he was a top prospect for much of his career, both as a high school player and then early in his college career at Georgia. And just the drop from that former standing to where he ended up going is is really notable. I think that the 
again, even absence that arm strength, the game manager cerebral approach I thought would be appealing to NFL teams looking to get a reliable backup who they could turn to in a moment of need slightly higher in the draft. And I think this is just a case where his his combine completely sunk him. Mm. And it, it was it was two things. The total and, and I thought Lewis Riddick, it was really interesting to hear him talk about this during the draft, that that people who were watching Jake Fromm were like shocked by the lack of zip on his ball at the combine. <laughs> and then what what was gone after that? The opportunity to then go spend more time with these teams mm. and try to alter that perception. So they were left thinking this guy has a weak arm and it's not worth taking him earlier than this. Now, I think the fit is borderline hysterical. <laughs> like I thought the the Bills taking a backup quarterback made sense. Obviously, Josh Allen, the way he plays, he's always going to be an injury risk. He Jake Fromm is the absolute inverse of Josh Allen in every single respect. Like he's the <laughs> anti-Allen, so that just is amusing to me. My next pick here is Thaddeus Moss. I think Danny Kelly is going to be prepared to tell me why I'm wrong about this, but he wound up signing with Washington as an undrafted free agent, which I think is like an incredible landing spot for him. And he could be really productive for them. You know, now that Jordan Reed is gone, Vernon Davis is gone, retired. Why did this surprise me? I thought he would fall because of questions about his speed and injury concerns coming off the foot injury reveal at the combine has a prior missed time from another foot injury in his past. But if there are two things the NFL teams love, it is drafting a productive player from a championship college football powerhouse and drafting someone with NFL bloodline pedigree. So in that sense to me, it's just really strange. I thought someone would take a flyer on him late. His We saw 14 LSU players go, which ties Ohio State's 2004 record. Thaddeus Moss is LSU backup win. <laughs> yeah. Steven yeah. Sullivan Seahawks. Went. Yeah. Seahawks. Yeah, there you go, Danny. Seventh round. <laughs> so again, you know, the injury concerns, the the prior missed time, some concern about uh, him being a late bloomer. You know, he had transferred to LSU, had been in a, a NC State previously. So I think you can chalk up some of his like late developing production to just the nature of his college career when you compa- when you compound the transfer with the injury history. Joe Brady's scheme, how much did it help him? Well, you could ask that about everybody on LSU's offense. The fact that there were so many other players who were drawing attention, I think is valid, but he was his production became more impactful and notable the more those games mattered for them. And I I think that that is impressive. And I was just surprised that the team didn't didn't grab him in the sixth or seventh round. Um, yeah, especially especially with some of the other I I won't say no name, but like way under the radar. Like Guys that no one's barely even heard of got drafted. Like Stephen Sullivan, for instance. Like the Seahawks took him as a receiver, so that's right. maybe a little bit different. But um, man, I'm, I'm in agreement with you too. And like the other thing is, it's so hard to find a, a tight end that can block. Yeah, like teams talk about that a lot these days. Like, oh, we can't find tight ends that can block. And he was probably one of the best blocking tight ends in the whole draft. So it is kind of it's it's a little bit mystifying that he completely fell out of the draft. I would have. I think it would have made sense if he was taken in like the sixth or seventh round, yeah, but like same. for him to go undrafted, it's pretty crazy. Bizarre. And I will just very, 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 very quickly note that while I didn't think Denzel Mims's overall draft slot, round two, pick 59, was that shocking. I thought him falling to 13 in the receiver class was 
a bit of a a bit of a surprise. Yeah, yeah. I I would say this. I was telling Craig this because he Craig's on the Denzel Mims is going to be the best receiver in in the class. I, I'm not th- I'm not putting him on blast. I think he tweeted that. So, um, <laughs> and my my take on this is is he reminds me a lot. Mims reminds me a lot of Terry McLaurin last season. Um, mm. A guy whose tape maybe wasn't what it like what the the. I guess like his testing and everything that happened in the pre-draft process, the senior bowl, the combine. Uh, McLaurin blew both of those up. Uh, Mims was by far the star of the senior bowl and then absolutely astonished, you know, at the combine. I don't think anyone was expecting him to do all that stuff. I think teams probably showed some restraint because his tape wasn't as good as maybe his testing would allude to. Um, But that said, I could see Mims having like a McLaurin type rookie season where you're like, man, why did he fall so far? Um, Yeah, absolutely. So I think there, I think there, there's a lot of parallels to those two players and, and Mims goes to a team where there's not much talent at the receiver position. So he could, he could potentially be their number one. Yeah. I mean, for, for the Jets, for Darnold, that's just a incredible gift potentially. Yeah. Okay, uh, Bills get AJ Epinesa at 54. I think this was a really good value. This is the kind of guy who slips. Yeah. He wasn't athletic. He didn't test out all that well. And Brandon Bean said, we're just looking for for guys who can play football. And, and I understand that, but I am still a little bit concerned about, about the athleticism. However, at pick 54, this is, this is what you want. Um, First-round talent. Uh, PFF loves him again. Uh, win rate of 31%. Uh, when rushing from the interior, which is really, really good. He's strong um, as hell. He's <laughs> strong as hell. He's going to beat people up. This yeah. is, if you want to be a physical team, you add guys like this at pick 54. He is, he's, he's strong, extremely physical, and he was really productive. You know, yep. it's, it's yeah. actually kind of shocking that he fall, fell the story because teams love production. Um, Curtis Weaver is another guy that fell really far. That was kind of surprising. Like he was, his production was off the charts. Yep. Um, but just not, that not Iowa the athlete. Strength, the Iowa strength program is yeah, very right? impressive. Something I learned about yeah. when I did the George Kittle piece. Iowa stre- I would like to go through the Iowa strength program and see how it goes <laughs> for me. Can yeah. you jump straight out of a pool like Werfs? I need that? to talk about that for a second. That makes me deeply anxious. <laughs> Nervous. You did yeah, that? That, was, that was my reaction too, Kevin. I was like, no. <laughs> Don't do that. If, you, if you spend enough time around pools and just see people getting hurt, which you do all the time, because pools are just unbelievable, strangely unsafe. <laughs> like, because everyone, maybe it's because everyone's drunk all the time, or they're just children, whatever, or both in Florida. But um, wow. somehow but, more yeah. of a Florida comment from you than your 10 minute diatribe about uh, Tommy Bahama. Um, that was good. But anyway, I just, when I saw that, I was like, man, he's going to get hurt. I turned into a deeply concerned parent for worse <laughs> no no swimming pools and no motorcycles that's like got to be on the contract i think that the, the the swimming pool thing is broken quite a bit if that was ever a thing i think i think they're gonna allow it all right um last category last best one fit. guy guy we're going to it's funny because i i asked you danny kelly last week kind of this question going forward, which is which is the guy who when they get in the building and they start playing, we're gonna go, oh my God, how do we let this guy get here? And and it was actually my my example was Patrick Queen falling to the Chiefs. And that actually did not happen. He went before to another smart franchise. I think we're gonna be saying Hell the yeah. same thing. So Patrick Queen is a candidate here. Uh Danny, who is your uh best fit? The guy we're gonna be saying, oh my God, I cannot believe this guy is here and he looks great. 
Yeah, my guy, my guy is Brandon Ayuk for the 49ers. And I'm kind of cheating a little bit because I'm going to yeah. say two guys here, Juwan Jennings and Brandon Ayuk. Jennings, they got, I think, in the seventh round, like late round guy. Um, the, the 49ers absolutely have a type. And it is guys who are, <clears throat> excuse me, guys who are completely beastly after the catch, like insanely, insanely elusive, physical, tough after the catch, explosive. This is I saw this from Fantasy Points Graham Barfield. The 49ers have George Kittle, who led all receivers and tight ends in yards after the catch the last two seasons, 8.3. Debo Samuel led all receivers in yards after the catch as a rookie. Brandon Ayuk, who they drafted in the first round, led the rookie receiver class in yards after the catch. And he is, I think that's like his that's that's why he was so intriguing to a lot of teams is he's kind of raw, you know, his route running is going to take probably a couple of years. He's a Juco transfer, only one year of elite production. So there's, there's some worries there, but he is so sudden and explosive in space. You get the ball in his hands and he can hit a home run. He He's like a really good return man. Like he's just electric in space. So he is the perfect, perfect receiver for the 49ers. Shanahan, and this just like for fantasy purposes, I was like, yes. In his, in his, <laughs> po- his post game presser, he said, he's like, he, he was describing Ayuk. He's like, he wants to be great. He's really gritty, all that stuff. Like I'm paraphrasing. Um, and he's, and he goes, and I promise you, we're going to scheme him up to get the ball in his hands. And I'm like, if any, if any, coach in the NFL, like Shanahan of any coach, I'm like, yes, he's going to find ways to get the ball in his hands. And I think it's going to be very fun because he's just, I think, very, very electric after the catch. So in addition to that, you add in Juwan Jennings, seventh rounder, who was very impressive at the senior bowl at times. Like he ran slow with four sevens. This is why he was a seventh rounder, but he is an absolute beast after the catch. And he's a different type of elusive. He's like, like, Marshawn Lynch, like he's just running people over. Um, he led all. I saw this on. <clears throat> I saw this on Twitter. He led all power five receivers in broken broken tackles per reception, and only CD Lamb had more yards after contact per catch than him. So, oh, and he forced a missed tackle on fifty one percent of his catches per PFF. So he's just like running down defensive backs, and like he's just big, physical. He's a perfect fit for the 49ers offense, which does such a good job of scheming up guys into space and letting them run after the catch. Um, I think Jennings is sort of the, the Kittle version of a receiver. So, um, wow. Perfect. I'm not, I'm going to say he's going to be a superstar like Kittle. I'm just saying like, you can't tackle the guy. Um, so anyways, I think those two, those are just like the perfect fits for the 49ers. I love it. I'm also going with a receiver here. I'm going with Justin Jefferson, another proud LSU tiger Vikings took him in the first round pick 22. I love the pick. I love the Vikings draft overall. Kev, you talked about it a bit earlier. <laughs> 15 total picks is just wild. The Eagles picked before the Vikings. They picked at 21. And mm-hmm. they took Jalen Rager, Prince Rager Targaryen, out <laughs> of TCU. And taking him instead of Jefferson was surprising and a, a little bit odd to me. So I thought the Vikings got a little bit lucky here that Jefferson ended up being available to him. And I think it will be interesting to track how those two guys are linked throughout their career, taking one pick apart as they were. But I just Jefferson's just a solid, you know, again, we've talked about this receiver class so much, and I definitely think there was a drop off from the Lamb, Judy, Ruggs tier to the next group. But I do think Jefferson was next and the production that he can provide out of the slot 
He's just a catch machine. I mean, he caught 111 passes last year. He had 18 touchdowns. He can really help this offense. Feels like the kind of guy that Kirk Cousins is just going to love this steady, (laughs) reliable presence, someone who's there for the volume play. And they needed to address receiver after the Stefan Diggs trade. And of course, what did they get for Diggs? They got this pick, right? So they they literally are replacing Diggs with the thing that they got for him. This was the Bills pick that they acquired in that deal. And, you know, Kev, we talked about this a little bit on our, our round one pod, but this Jefferson pick is also part of this larger, really interesting draft trend from this year. Mm-hmm. Teams moving on from a more expensive veteran and replacing that player immediately in this draft with a, with a rookie contract, uh, you know, Slay and Akuto with the lions, Buckner and Kinlaw with the Niners, numerous examples out of this draft. And Jefferson is one of them, but I like the pick a lot. I think he'll be really productive right away for them. Kind of throughout this process. I've been, I've been comping Jefferson to like a long version of Doug Baldwin, but he's actually very much like Adam Thielen, like very good route runner. Yeah. Excels at the catch point, very like savvy where you're kind of using like tugs and push offs at the very end of your route. Like you separate late, tough over the middle. So, anyways, it, it makes a lot of yeah. sense why the Vikings like this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, I, I love that confidence. It's like getting at your new version of Thielen. He might be a little bit more athletic, even so. I went a little deeper into the draft and found Alex Highsmith, UNC Charlotte, um, three, four. Pass rusher, I guess, stand-up edge rusher, um, goes to Pittsburgh, and you can kind of see when I saw a tape of him after the the pick, and I had seen him before, but when I saw a tape of him and, and looked at him in a Steelers uniform in my mind's eye, I thought, oh, well, I think this guy probably fits in quite well. This is the kind of guy who in two years we might say, why the hell did he fall to the Steelers? We're going to develop him well as a front seven guy. Um, he needs a lot of of work to speak. You know, listen, there, there's some questions about playing at UNC Charlotte and the talent level and all that stuff, but Lance Zierland has him as um, quick to diagnose and slip blocks, make plays in the backfield, has a diverse set of uh, rush attacks. Um, I, I think that he's the type of guy in that front seven that the Steelers are, gonna, are just going to plug him in. Um, Bud Dupree, obviously, um, and, and TJ Watt are great pass rushers and, mm-hmm. and are already providing a lot of, of push and Bud Dupree's and his franchise year tag and all that stuff. But this is just another guy they can throw in the front seven, develop, and and scare, scare offenses with. This this guy had, I'm just looking at his stats right now, he had 47 tackles for a loss in the last two years combined. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's pretty damn good. That's good. That's 21, good. And a half, 21 and a half tackles for a loss, including 15 sacks last year. So, geez. Hey, can I give one more? I, I saw yeah. Ben Gretsch on Twitter had this, and I thought it was really interesting, and it is in Mal's wheelhouse. The Jacob Eason to the Colts. I is, love this <laughs> okay, so predictably. Is, it's, it, it's a it's a perfect match, only in the sense that, and this is this is Gretch's point, is that Eason would have been overdrafted. He just would have been this big arm, immobile guy. He would have been overdrafted five years ago, maybe three mm-hmm. years ago. Who the hell knows? And he falls to a place with Frank Reich, yes, born behind Philip Rivers, born behind a good offensive line. Yes. If if there was any place for him to go and show off his big arm, it's in perfect. Here. Perfect landing spot for him. I was delighted. I love All that right. you're an East. I love that you're an Eason fan. I just can't quit him. He <laughs> he represents so many of the things, the the Gabbard esque things that drive me crazy during draft <laughs> season after watching college football. But I just <laughs> I just can't quit him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Good work, Indy. Danny, which Seahawks pick made you the angriest? Mm. I mean, the first round pick. My initial reaction was like, 
not anger, but just, so I wrote this in my draft grades, just, and I'm going to reuse it because it, I felt like it was legitimately exactly what I did. You know, a scene from Arrested Development where Michael picks up a bag that says, dead dove, do not eat. <laughs> he looks into it and he's like, I, I, I don't know what I expected. This is like exactly, like the Seahawks do this every year. They pick some guy that's like, and he was 87th on my board. He was, I think, 64th or something on the consensus board from Marie Fasano over at The Athletic. So that's like 60 analysts' draft boards. So he was not expected mostly to be that high. And it's like every year the Seahawks do this where they're like, what? Like, who is this guy? I've talked myself into it more because I'm a masochist, you know? Like, I've, I've definitely talked myself into this after the fact, but I, I my first like, reaction was I just like, like what? <laughs> I like Brooks. I mean, I... I yeah. Yeah. I mostly just have extreme gratitude that they didn't select Patrick Queen and then the Ravens <laughs> did one pick later. But right, I, I right. think Brooks is a good player. I mean, yeah. And, and this is what I'm talking about. Like, I've talked myself into it. Like, he is that thumper, like, rangy, very athletic guy. And, like, I can absolutely see why the Seahawks like him. They love Bobby Wagner for many of the same reasons. There's question marks about his coverage. So that's a legitimate question mark. That's why he was so low um, on a lot of people's boards. But, yeah, I, I can definitely see, like, if they're looking for that, like, attitude on defense again which they absolutely are and they were they did not have it last year like i understand that but it was just like in the moment you're like what the hell again (laughs) let me tell you what i love i love that the seahawks sit there while the niners get trent williams the cardinals are gearing up to be one of the most exciting teams in football everyone's making moves the seahawks are doing this seahawks bullshit and they're still gonna win 11 games (laughs) yeah Nothing matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what a, what a note to end on. Nothing matters. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us, Kev. 